Thanks for tuning in to The Police Report, a Roselle Park Police audio podcast series. From police headquarters to your home, car, or wherever you may be listening from, we report on real crime trends and break down solutions on how to tackle them, like the pros. This podcast is hosted by RPPD's Community-Oriented Policing Unit, and this case is now open. Case number three. Today on the police report, we will be joined by members of a partnership for change and members from the YWCA. Together, we're going to be talking about ending domestic violence. I am your host, Officer Jessica Diaz. And before I introduce our guests, I want to dedicate this episode to all victims of domestic violence. Now I'd like to introduce Allison Bressler. Allison Bressler is the co-director and co-founder of a partnership for change. A Partnership for Change is a nonprofit dedicated to ending intimate partner violence. Allison, can you tell me a little bit about why you wanted to start a Partnership for Change? Sure. Uh, we started a Partnership for Change first off back in 2007 is when we first started doing some pro bono work. Uh, the reason why myself and my partner, my co-founder, started a Partnership for Change is because we had always worked for domestic violence agencies in New York. Okay. And what we had always found was that most people did not understand the issue of domestic violence, but even more importantly, they didn't know how to respond effectively. And so when we decided to develop an agency here in New Jersey, we did it under the guise of let's start educating first responders on what they need to know, not just about the issue, but how to effectively respond and refer and provide appropriate resources. The problem that we have is that most victims don't know where to go and don't know what to do when they're being victimized other than call the police. So if a first responder doesn't know how to respond effectively, victims surely don't know what they're doing. So the guise of a partnership for change is to train all communities and educate them with prevention and awareness. Okay. So the services you provide, I've actually gone to some of your trainings and they're all very good. Thank you. Um, Is that mostly what you do or do you also educate our public? We educate anybody who wants to listen, basically. And so we have uh, programs like the program you came to, which is the Police Response Enhancement Program. That's PrEP. And that program is designed to educate officers on victim impact. So it's for officers, it's for victim witness advocates, and it's for employees of VCCO, Victim Crimes Compensation Organization. And it's really all, again, to help them understand what victimization is from all aspects. Yeah. But we also have programs in high schools called Powerback, which is our teen dating abuse peer leadership program. And it's really the most comprehensive in the state. It provides training not just for kids to teach them how to be advocates and break the cycle of abuse, but really we train teachers and faculty, staff, administration, clinical staff, and parents and guardians on yeah. how to respond effectively. And pick, and pick up those signs that yeah. we'll, we'll go into. How prevalent is violence. domestic violence? I will say this. If you step out of your home and count four in either direction, I can guarantee you there's some level of abuse going on. And so it doesn't matter what your race is, what your culture is, what your religion, what your sexual orientation, your gender identity. None of that matters because anybody can be a victim. It does not matter. There's a lot of myths out there in regards to who are victims. People tend to think it's a minority, lower socioeconomic issue, and that is just not the case. I have clients in my private practice who are doctors and lawyers and engineers and teachers, and so are their batterers. This can happen to any race. Anybody can be victimized. Domestic violence is something that, unfortunately, I see almost every day at work. 
to think that there's a lot that is not even documented is even more disturbing. When people do come and report it, it's already to a much more aggressive level. Right. When people think about domestic violence, of course, the first thing that goes to their head is a physical assault. Right. But as I say very often, is if you got hit on the first date, would you go out with them again? No. And most people wouldn't, right? Most right. everyone would not. And this is because most do not understand what, what the dynamic is around domestic violence. So what it is, is a pattern of behavior that instills fear of negative consequences through the use of power and control. Mm -hmm. See, the problem with that is nobody understands what that really means. Right. <laughs> so what I say is, listen, if you are in a relationship relationship with somebody and you are not doing what you want, if you're not going where you want, expressing yourself the way you want, spending the way you want, just living your life realistically the way you want. If you're not doing these things because you're fearful of a negative consequence from your partner, you're likely being abused. And that negative consequence, like we just said, isn't always physical. Correct. So for example, if you came to me and said, hey, Allison, we're all going to happy hour after work. Why don't you come with us? And I think to myself, gosh, I would really love to go. But I know that if I do, I'm probably going to get a hundred texts from my partner saying, where the hell are you? What are you doing? Get your butt home. You're a bad mother. You're awful. I'm going to be accused of cheating. I know I'm going to get home. I'm going to be yelled at. I'm going to be raged at. I'm going to be crying, defending my decision just to go out and socialize one night. And so, you know what, thank you so much for inviting me to happy hour, but I, you know what, I'm not going to go. I have so much to do. Right. It's when that control takes over other parts of your life. Absolutely. And you don't have to be fearful, as you said earlier, of being physically assaulted. I can be fearful I'm going to be raged at or not spoken to for two weeks or criticized or put down or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If I'm fearful of a negative consequence, I'm being abused in my relationship on some level. So now that we're kind of talking about this, what are some signs of a potential abuser? Well, I will say this. Jealousy and possessiveness are your first two red flags that it's going in a bad direction. And people tend to confuse jealousy as something positive. Oh, my partner obviously loves me because they're jealous. But there's a difference between expressing one's jealousy and saying, this is how it makes me feel and expressing someone's your jealousy and saying things like, and because I'm jealous, you are not allowed to go here. You are not allowed to speak to this person anymore. That is where somebody inserts their power over you and takes, takes your power from you. And so a big warning sign is jealousy and possessiveness. But then there's other things. I mean, there's subtle things. You're dating somebody for a short period of time and they're already expressing their love for you. Um, they're already making statements that you shouldn't be doing certain things or asserting their control in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, but you don't feel safe to even respond to it. Um, is that called love bombing? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of nicknames for what okay. the behavior is. At the end of the day, it's emotional abuse. Okay. The whole dynamic of gaslighting, the whole dynamic of inserting yourself into someone's life under the guise of, I love you, I worship you, you're the greatest thing. A healthy relationship takes a healthy path. And that's a process of time of getting to know somebody and sort of peeling back that onion, so to speak. Yeah. An abusive relationship is, I need to be with you all the time. I need to monopolize your time. I do not want you hanging out with other people. But we have to understand that it's not always angry and mean. A lot of times it's it's because I love you so much. And I love you so much that I want us to be together all the time. And why do you have to hang out with your friends? Stay with me. Be with me. Blow them off. Why do you have to go to work today? Blow off work. Be with me. Because we love each other. 
It can be confusing for a lot of people being victimized because it's not always angry and scary. When you say that, isolation is what comes to my mind. Absolutely. Once they start saying, like, why are you going to hang out with your friends if you have me? Or why do you have to go to your family barbecue if you have me? That kind of sounds like they're isolating you. That's exactly what it is. And it's really designed to take you away from your support system. If I can isolate you so that you can't reach out to anybody for help or insight, then I definitely have all the power in the relationship at this point. Some of the bigger signs, obviously, is violence. Is it possible for an abuser to change? Great question. The best response I can give that is that for somebody to change their abusive behavior, which is a learned behavior, normally somebody's been perpetrating it for many, many, many years. They've, they're very vested in their position of having all the power in the relationship. For somebody to really change, they have to take 100% accountability. Okay. In my 23 years of working in the field, I have actually yet to come across anybody who has said, you know what? I'm a batter. I'm abusive. I have a problem. I need to go get support. I need to get cognitive behavioral support to understand how my emotions impact my behaviors. And I'm going to remove myself from this relationship because I'm abusive. And that doesn't usually happen. Most batterers really believe they have a right to their own behavior. And I think it's really important that everyone understand what physical abuse is. Physical abuse does not have to break a bone or even leave a bruise. If someone uses their physicality to instill fear, that could be punching the wall next to your head. Okay. That could be breaking the necklace, you know, off your, your neck. It could be throwing your jewelry box through a wall. These are all forms. Doing 150 on the Garden State Parkway, yelling and screaming, are all forms of physical abuse. If somebody's using their physicality to intimidate somebody, they're being physically abusive. And it doesn't have to hurt. What I think is really important is that once somebody is physically abusive, they're always going to be physically abusive. Okay. So once that line is crossed... Physical abuse will always be in play. And that means, or let me rephrase, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be hit every two weeks or every single time they're angry and upset. But once the door has been opened to a physical assault, I've yet to hear, well, it's been 30 years since I've been physically assaulted again. There's always going to be eventually another physical assault. Definitely. And I've definitely seen that in this line of work. And what I also see is a cycle. Many times people come and they'll make a report that they were physically battered. And it it seems like they just continue the circle. Well, there's two dynamics. One, the actual cycle of abuse always starts with tension building so that we understand what, what somebody who's victimized is going through. Tension building portion of, say, the pie is um, that period of time where a victim is walking on eggshells. Um, they're, you know, they're doing everything they're supposed to do. They're waiting for the other shoe to drop and they, they're just waiting. And then comes what's called the acute explosion, which is the battering event, whether it's physical, verbal, sexual, it's the explosion of behavior. And then right after that period of time comes the apologies and promises, or sometimes better known as the honeymoon period. Mm-hmm. And so... At that point in time, many victims slash survivors believe that there's change involved, that it's getting better because a batterer is on their best behavior at that point. They don't want to split up. They are fearful they're losing the power. They're oftentimes very loving. They show signs of change, but there is no change. There will never be change unless someone comes in and teaches them new tools and they're open to it. And then it pops right back into tension building. And that's the cycle. And some victims never get the honeymoon period. That said, What you're really talking about is what prevents somebody who's being victimized from getting out of these relationships. And so we have to really take into consideration the reasons that prevent. We oftentimes, as a society, say, 
Why don't you just leave? Why don't you just get out? And it's very easy for all of us to sit in a place of judgment. Like, I would not accept this. I would not allow somebody to do this to me. You need to get out. But we really have to understand the things that prevent a victim from leaving. Fear is number one up there. I mean, fear is if my batterer told me they would kill me if I left, they've always followed through with everything. Mm -hmm. They said they were going to hurt me. They did. They said they'd ruin my life. They did. Why should I doubt they're not going to kill me if I leave? Children. Many survivors stay for the children. They leave for the children. Financial. You know, financial is a big one, especially if you're married to somebody who has access and has the money and controls the money and says things to you like, if you leave, I will make sure you're penniless on the street. Be very frightening. It's a frightening prospect. Absolutely. But I will say this. The number one reason most people victimized don't leave is because they don't believe in their options. They don't believe that if they walk out the door, it's going to get any better for them. And sometimes it's easier to navigate the yucky that you're living in than to walk through that door of the unknown. That's unfortunate. And I think just raising awareness about services that are out there, you know, we can help break the cycle a little bit. Yes. So to put myself in the shoes of someone who's being battered, how can I stop the violence? Well, the best way you can stop the violence is always have a safety plan. And a safety plan literally can save a life. And it's so important that anybody who's being victimized has one. And that at least allows you how to safely remove yourself from these types of scenarios. That said, of course, we want you to reach out to the police. Mm -hmm. Of course, we want you to reach out to the lead domestic violence agency. So what would that plan kind of look like? Well, for example, with a safety plan, Mm -hmm. passwords save lives. So here's an example of a password. Say it's pizza. And I have my password with someone I know, I trust, and who is available. And my batter is raging and yelling and screaming. I can respond with, I promised my sister that I was going to meet her for pizza and I'm going to cancel, but you have to let me contact her or she's going to call the police. And so... I can contact my sister and say, I'm not going to meet you for pizza. I'm just going to stay home tonight. And what I actually said was, there's a fight ensuing. I am scared. I'm home. Call the police. And I didn't tip off my batterer. Yeah. So that's one form of a safety plan. Other things. If you're fighting, don't run upstairs. Run out. If you have no options in the home, don't lock yourself in a room where there's only one exit and it can be blocked for the next five hours. Yeah. Stay out of rooms where there's sharp objects like knives and forks and scissors. Stay out of kitchens. Try to maneuver yourself outside of the home. But other things you can do is have a bag packed in case you have to make a quick getaway, Mm -hmm. some clothing, some cash, children's clothing if you're taking your kids with you, somewhere outside of the home. Um, Other things you can do is really go get a restraining order. Yeah. You can call the police to do that. You can go down to the prosecutor's office and speak with victim witness advocacy. Um, That unit, they are more than willing to help you obtain a restraining order. The most important thing is to not live in isolation and think that there is no support because there is support and you can get out. And no, I'm not going to lie and tell you it's going to be so simple. It's not. But if you are being victimized, there is support out there. And I would say um, that this step of leaving is probably the most dangerous part. Leaving is the most dangerous time. And so we would never recommend somebody just leaving without a plan, minimally a safety plan, but a plan of support of people who can take you in, who can help you, who can provide you some level of safety while you're getting out. Yeah, definitely. And listen, there's shelter. If you need to go into shelter in Union County, there's the YWCA and they 
offer shelter. Yeah. If you were to come to the police department and tell me as I'm leaving and I don't have anywhere to go, we could definitely set you up. We're not just going to let you go. And there's definitely um, services for that. I want to talk about children for just a second. Sure. How does domestic violence affect a child? It's interesting because I literally just came from giving a class on the effects of domestic violence on children. I mean, these are the basics that I can tell you. Up to and over 14 million children a year are exposed to domestic violence in their homes. That means up to 14 million children a year are going home to a life of no safety net. Mm -hmm. And it can't help but impact them in some negative form. So depending on their age, we see issues with children emotional, behavioral, somatic issues, high blood pressure in children, um, gastrointestinal issues. We see kids who are cutting, who are abusing substances, promiscuity. These are all certain responses. We know that domestic violence and child abuse are commingled. And in some studies, up to 70% of domestic violence cases have child abuse cases as well. Um, so we know that kids do not come out unscathed from exposure to domestic violence. I think it's important to know also that children who are exposed have a 50% higher likelihood to perpetrate or be victimized mm. in their adult life. So there is a significant impact. The good news, if there is any good news, the good news is early intervention, positive reinforcement, support, safety. Children could absolutely be resilient and can really follow a much healthier path as long as they have adults who step in and provide them with the positive emotional support that they need. Oh, that's what I was going to go into. Definitely when it comes to kids, don't try to do it yourself. Definitely have a counselor step in. And Absolutely have a counselor. And listen, if I can say anything to any parent or somebody who's surviving in this right now listening, please don't make your child your therapist. No matter how mature your child is, no matter how mature your 14-year-old, for example, is and says, I want to hear, I want to be there for you, they're not emotionally mature enough to really handle the depth of what you're going through as a parent and they shouldn't have to be your therapist so please go seek out counseling switching gears just a tiny bit i also want to talk about men being victims men are victims currently the statistic for women is one out of four adult women for men it's one out of 14 hmm. and one out of 14 men are victims of domestic violence the problem with that is we are never going to get a solid number and the reason why is societal the reality is is that men tend not to pick up the phone and say that they're being battered especially in a heterosexual relationship where it's a woman who's doing the battering and that's a pride thing it's a machismo thing mm -hmm. and it's unfortunate because yeah. the reality reality is, is that although women, I have to say, are battered in their relationships at much higher rates, men are victimized. And the types of phone calls men make are things like, you better get over here. They're freaking nuts. They're chasing me with a knife. But they're not calling the police as a pattern of behavior saying, this is happening to me. And I am being terrorized and traumatized and battered in my relationship for fear of the judgment that comes with men being battered by women. Uh, it's hopeful that we can reduce that stigma because you're a victim, whether right. man, woman. And the domestic violence services out there are for women and for male okay. victims as well. Next on the podcast, I want to welcome Lillian Rubano and Jennifer Vreens, both from the YWCA. Now, the YWCA is the domestic violence resource for Union County. So a brief introduction to both ladies. Lillian has worked in the domestic violence field for over 15 years. Currently, she is the drama therapist and community educator. Lillian has trained several community partners on the dynamics of domestic violence, teen dating abuse, 
domestic violence impact on children and also runs the 40-hour professional training here at the YWCA for Union County. Jennifer Vreens has been working in the field for the past 12 years and is currently the Director of Development and Marketing for the YWCA Union County. The YWCA Union County is the lead domestic violence agency. The YMCA is also the oldest and the largest multicultural women's organization in the world, and it is dedicated to eliminating racism, empowering women, promoting peace, justice, and dignity for all. Welcome both of you to the podcast. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here and uh, great to talk about um, domestic violence and how we could better serve our communities. So I was wondering if you guys could give me a little bit of background or history to the YWCA. Sure thing. So the YWCA Union County actually just celebrated its centennial anniversary. We opened in 1920. So 2020 was our uh, very special year for us. Uh, not an easy one for anybody, but no, it was special in that respect. Um, and we've been serving uh, women, children, and families uh, in the in this area ever since 1920. Um, but importantly, in 1978, and this was happening really around the country, um, we turned our mission primarily to serving victims of domestic violence. There was a, um, a, a you know push. In, along with the women's movement in the mid seventies to start addressing this issue. And we started by opening up a shelter. And ever since then, we've been growing our services and uh, offering more and more different types of programs to victims and their children. For listeners who don't know, if you were to come to headquarters and unfortunately be a victim of domestic violence, the YWCA is one of the resources we always go to. Um, there's a lot of different things that they do. There's a lot of different resources that they kind of provide. You kind of get referred by us. Can you go over kind of the process? So once a police department or even a, if they're self-referred to your agency, what will they do for them, for the victims? Just really find out what's going on in that particular situation so that mm-hmm. we can best refer whatever resources are available in the community to address their needs, right? It might be court advocacy, it might be counseling, it might be needing a place to relocate, it might be connecting that victim to um, victim services um, for crime compensation, you know, so we really assess what's going on um, and then meet the victim survivor with their needs and take the step. But really the first step is calling and calling might be very difficult for a victim. And so that's why it's important to support that victim and making the call, um, whether it's like on someone else's phone where it's safer, but really it starts with the victim advocating for themselves. And we do that so that the victim feels empowered to take the steps that they need to take rather than again, someone taking control for them and doing it. I'll just add that the 24-hour hotline is the primary uh, way that victims or survivors reach us. It's uh, available 24 hours a day, and they can really assess the needs of that person calling and, you know, get them to whatever they need. And that (laughs) number is 1-800-355-HELP. If a person is calling from out of county, we would then help connect that person to the county that they're calling from, Uh, and give also the national hotline number to that survivor. Um, So just to back up a little bit, you're right. You know, that that initial call, 
is definitely uh, the biggest hurdle, I would say. And sometimes, like I mentioned before, we set it up. As, as police officers, we will set up that initial call. And I just wanted to let victims know that that is completely um, confidential. That's right. Once once you make that call, right. we put you in a separate room. We're not listening. That conversation never gets passed on to us. It is completely confidential. And the victim survivor is in charge at that point of getting whatever services she thinks she needs and is ready for. During that initial call, you guys are lending a listening ear. Do you provide therapy in that second? Can you talk about like that initial call? And initially in that call, it's just to find out what's going on, what that victim is in need of and providing those services. They may also provide safety planning if necessary, right, right. Uh, because the most dangerous time for a victim of domestic violence is when she leaves. Safety planning is absolutely critical, and they will go through with the victim what they need to do to be safer as they go through this process. Okay, that's great to know kind of what happens in that initial call. So thanks for clearing that up. So we've been talking a lot about resources and services, and I can imagine our listeners are like, I want to know more about these resources and their services. And there's just so many that I know of, and I can imagine there's so many more I don't know of. Could you just give me a brief overview of some of those resources and maybe which ones are the most common? So some of the resources that um, come to mind immediately are a, a victim might have pets and they need to find a safe place for their pets to go while they're in shelter, right? So that's a resource, okay. finding a pet shelter, um, finding a place for the pets to stay. Often victims might not want to leave if they have pets at home. Okay. Uh, they don't know where to keep their animals. They might not know, like if they have to move, they don't know how to relocate. They might not have the resources or the funds so connecting a victim to um, services, social services, and um, advocating for supporting that victim and finding a new place to live, relocating, uh, possibly getting that victim to a hospital, uh, working with the victim for medical attention. You know, we've worked with victims who have had like um, in need of medical attention, like their face, maybe let's say their mm. teeth were knocked out. You know, there are organizations yeah. that help victims um, with dental needs, furniture assist, baby assist, getting clothes for infants are just some of the few that I could incur advocacy, referrals to lawyers, assistance in the summary that is most common. But there are many, many steps that a victim needs to take. It usually makes a, a victim feel really overwhelmed, which mm. might make someone feel like it's easier to stay. And yeah deal with what they have, like maybe even finding a job, right? We have like the skill step training empowerment program where we help survivors work on their resumes, learn English, prepare for interviews, and we support them in finding a new job so that they could support themselves and their families in this transition of leaving. So all of these steps can be really overwhelming for one person to handle on their own. And with a yeah. team of advocates who understand that person's situation and understands the dynamics of domestic violence, it makes it much more easier to take the steps that person needs 
to move forward in their life, live a life free of violence. I want to add to that, all of our services are listed on our website, um, okay. ywcauniongcounty.org. So that's always available. But our, our core services are kind of um, grouped into two groups. One is uh, residential and one would be non-residential. So we have emergency shelter, which is short term, usually up to 90 days. We have supportive housing, which is longer term, as well as permanent housing. So those are residential options. And then our non-residential options are county. Uh, counseling, case management, uh, PALS, which is for the non-offending parent and children. And then, of course, we also do a lot of community and professional education like we're doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, and in all of these programs, you know, we work with our partners because everybody is different and they come to this from very different places. That's very true. Are these resources free to yes. survivors? Indeed. <laughs> okay. And financial abuse is almost as common as physical abuse in domestic violence. And in fact, in some ways, it's the most insidious because financial yeah. abuse is keeping financial empowerment from the victim. And if you don't have a good credit score, if you don't have any income and you're trying to leave, where are you supposed to go? Right. Yeah. You can't get an apartment without a credit check anymore. So yeah. that's why STEP is so important because it helps clients um, repair their credit score, get job training, get ESL classes, and then eventually become employed and, and financially independent. So, okay. And then yeah, yeah. we've even had clients in the past um, at the time who were offered scholarship and they're working now in the field, in other community organizations and are huge advocates for our agency. So those scholarships aren't always available, of course, Mm -hmm. but you know, when they are available, our agency, our community partners know the work that we're doing and they connect us with potential resources and um, support systems so that we can help. Yeah. I love, I love hearing those uh, success stories. (laughs) We uh, we have a local foundation that has been very generous with us for many years and provides a lot of that scholarship money. So that, uh, in fact, I was just writing the uh, <laughs> writing the new grant for this foundation that that funds the ESL and computer classes as well. Yep. That's really important. What job? There's very few jobs you can have right now that don't in some way involve using a computer. Yeah, that's very true. That's and that's... I'm very grateful that our services are free. There's not many organizations yes. out there that provide the kind of service is that we do to community members that really support them getting on their feet for free. This sounds like a great success plan really is, you know, these steps that you guys are talking about. And I'm so grateful that you guys are out there for our victims uh, or survivors rather. Resources for male victims. Are there resources for male victims or the LGBTQ plus community? Yes. So we service everyone who is a victim. Oftentimes, uh, people in the community might think that we just serve women. And historically, when we think of domestic violence, we often think that women are victims, but that is not true. Uh, Mm -hmm. Male men are victims as well. People in the LGBTQ plus community are victims. They might think that because we're YWCA, which stands for Young Women's Christian Association, which historically has that name from 100 years ago. But essentially, we service everyone and we really try to get the word out there. Uh, Don't let the name of our organization be misleading. Thank you guys for being so um, inclusive and opening up your doors to everyone. Um, Do you guys have any parting thoughts for our listeners? We just want people to know we're here. Okay. They can call the hotline anytime for help. Um, And yeah, we do a lot of education in the community because people, why would they know if it's not their everyday lives, right? right? And understand, you know, some people will say, well, why doesn't she? 
you just leave? There's very good answers for that. And we want them to understand that. And so not only services directly to victims, but we want the community to have a better understanding of domestic abuse because then they're better prepared when someone may disclose to them that they're experiencing abuse and they know what to say and where to send them. Yes. Which would be to us. Yeah. Yes. As a drama therapist and community educator, I want to share that I think prevention is key. Mm. Uh, I work Mm. a lot with schools where I go in and talk about healthy relationships and what that looks like. I think it's important to model healthy relationships, communication, conflict resolution, and starting within like the schools and in our communities, which I often go out and speak about the dynamics of domestic violence, training different organizations and people in the community. I'm talking about healthy relationships. We, in our culture, we see so much violence, Um, whether it's in the movies or in music or social media, we are uh, flooded with toxic ways of behaving towards one another that in many ways, I believe people internalize that and they think it's a normal way of behaving towards people they love. So that when someone's watching a movie like my favorite movie, The Notebook, that I always refer to, right? That like I've cried so many times when when I see the ending, but essentially it starts off with this guy hanging off the Ferris wheel and threatening to kill himself if this girl doesn't go out on a date with him, right? And, you know, we watch movies movies like that all the time and we think okay this is love right this person behaving like this is love instead of recognizing them as red flags or even you know regulating ourselves and being like okay this behavior is not okay yeah. we're not always lucky to grow up in healthy families <laughs> it doesn't mean that we're not going to turn out okay but like a lot of times we replicate those patterns and i think right. you know when we talk about this with people in our community and we're able to reflect on our cultures, our behaviors, and kind of like look at how to treat people we care about, then we could start minimizing abuse in our communities and our culture, our society, like everywhere in the world. And, you know, abuse starts early. Um, Teen dating violence is a huge problem in in high school, in college. And um, so, you know, if you want to really prevent this, you need to look at young people and, you know, teach youth what a a healthy relationship is and what it's not. Love should not hurt and people deserve better. Absolutely. Allison, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? best I can say is if this is happening to you, it is so important to remember two things. One, there is absolutely help and support out there for you. There really genuinely is. And there are people out there who want to see you healthy and safe and see you and your children, if you have, thrive. The second thing I want to say is absolutely love yourself most always. Please know, take that blame. I say this all the time, but not for the batterer's behavior. Would you be in this position? This is about you knowing that you get to be respected, that you get to be treated equally, and that nobody should be taking away your power. Not ever, not for a minute. I agree. And there is support out there. Yeah, I definitely agree. Thank you very much for coming on and um, helping guide our public a little bit and, you know, taking a step forward to ending the violence. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We're happy to be here. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you for hosting us. We're so grateful for being here today. Domestic violence and abuse is a devastating crime that shatters the lives of victims and families. If you or someone you know are in an abusive relationship and need help, please don't hesitate to call the police department or your local domestic violence hotline. 
Everyone deserves relationships free of domestic violence. When you are ready, we are here to listen. Together, we can end the cycle. Thanks for listening to The Police Report. We hope you're tuned back next month to learn more. The Police Report is now found on major listening apps, including Google Podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, and Pocket Cast. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when we release a new podcast. The Police Report is produced by Rosa Park Police and under the direction of Chief Daniel J. McCaffrey.